have your Bibles, please let's go to Matthew chapter 28, Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 16. If you don't have your Bibles, we have the scripture uh, on the screen, and so I'm going to read from verse 16 all the way through uh, verse 20, and it says this. It says, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the end of the age. And so, as some of you guys know, we are continuing a series called Metanoia. And we've been talking about this whole idea of change from the inside. We talked about this, this Greek word, metanoia, that, that means change of mind. It means change of, of direction. I, I grew up believing that um, uh, metanoia was translated into the English Bible as repentance. And so I would hear the word repentance, and I was taught that repentance was a military term. In other words, you're walking this way, right, and then you repent and you go in the opposite direction, which is partially true. But the reality is that metanoia is a, is a change from within. It's a change of mindset. It's a change of heart. It's a change of direction. It's a complete change. It, it goes similar to uh, the word metamorphosis. That's also a Greek word that talks about this complete external change, you know, like the butterfly, you know, it's, it's a complete change from, from, the, from the outside. It's, it's, a, it's a transformation that is so evident that is that becomes completely different than, it, than its former uh, self. So the same is true for us as Christians. We're called to have this transformation from the inside that is so deep, so profound, that the person that met Jesus, the result of that transformation is so intense that these are like two completely different people. And that's the, that's the invitation. I don't know about you, but I, I grew up um, in, a, in a Christian culture in which the, the emphasis was on the outside, like, you've got to change your behavior. You've got to change your, your attitude. You've got to sin less. Like, there was all these external things that were requirements in order to be a follower of Jesus. But that's, the, that's the essence of, of religion, and that's what Jesus rejected from the Pharisees, right? So he saw the, the Pharisees were all about the external, and he would, he would criticize them because all that they were focused on was this external change. He would call them hypocrites, which means actor. You're, you're, you're actor. You're being, you're being fake. You're, you're wearing this mask. You know, you're just hiding your true self, trying to, to give this image like you have actually changed, but on the inside, it's ex you're exactly the same, in Matthew 23, uh, Jesus talks about them. All you worry about is cleaning the outside of the bowl or the outside of, of the dish. And the inside is filthy. I mean, imagine this, this cup. Like, there's this cup, you know, and, and the cup looks great. It's, like, beautiful on the outside. But then you look on the inside, and it's all, like, moldy and gross, right? So would you, would you ever drink out of that cup? Of course not. You would never drink out of that cup because it's gross. If I asked you what's, what's most important, is it cleaning the, the outside of the, of the bowl or the dish or the, the cup or, or the inside, right? Well, if the, if the outside's a little bit dirty, I'm like, okay, whatever. But like, but like the inside is the most important thing. So Jesus is trying to make this, 
this point with the Pharisees. Like, you're only focused on the outside, and I know what's on the inside. Like, you're, you are filthy on the inside. And so the invitation for us as Christians is, is not to just focus on the exterior, trying to give out this image like you're a perfect person, because none of us, none of us here are perfect. So that's not the calling. The calling is to allow for Jesus to transform you from the inside. And when the transformation from the inside takes place, then the outside transformation is inevitable. So that's what this message and this series is all about. And so we've been talking about different changes from the inside that we're called to make. And the first week we talked about changing your mind about, about yourself. And then the week after we talked about changing your mind about your neighbor. And then today we're going to talk about changing your mind about your mission. Changing your mind about, about your mission. We all have a, a mission and so, I don't know if you've noticed or not, but these days there's a lot of self-improvement talk out there. Have you noticed? Like a lot of self-improvement. You know, you've got to be the best version of, your, of yourself. And you've got, you know, people like, like David Goggins. You guys know David Goggins? So there's a, I have a picture of David Goggins there, I think. David Goggins. So this guy, you know, he's an ultramarathon runner. He wrote a book called Can't Stop Me. I mean, he's, he's the guy you'll see in videos. He's running and he's saying, you know, stay hard and just go. Like he's trying to motivate people. We've got another guy called Jocko Willink. There's also a picture of him right there. So this guy, you know, he's got a tough look in his eyes. Like you don't want to mess with him, you know. He's a Navy SEAL. He wrote a, a book called Extreme Ownership. He's like a leadership guru, right? And so he's, he's motivating people to, to just be the best that they can be. And then there's another guy called, maybe you've heard of him, this is a Canadian um, uh, psychologist. Uh, his name uh, is Jordan Peterson. He wrote a book called uh, 21, sorry, uh, 12 Rules for life, he gives conferences around the world. And so you can see this kind of movement that's taking place that, that is these people that are motivating you, motivating me to be the best that you can be, to make your life count, to not waste a single minute, to make a difference, to leave a legacy, to be he- you know, he- a healthy person. And I don't know about you, but that pumps me up. Like I get excited when I hear these guys and I get motivated to be the best that I can be. These are the same guys that talk about isolation tanks and saunas and cold plunges and breathing exercises and working out and being the best you can be physically, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, in nutrition. And I'm like, "Ah, I get tired even naming all that stuff. Like, it's so much, you know? And a lot of people have been benefiting from this. I mean, you see this happening. There's like this movement taking place, people losing weight, getting their lives in order, getting up early, you know, loving their wives, taking responsibility, taking care of their families, you know, stop drinking and all these things that are so good. And so there seems to be this like rising generation of, of people who are more, more focused, more goal-centered, you know, they want to contribute to society. And all this is very positive. All of this is very very good. And I try to inspire my kids to be that way too. I try to inspire my kids to give their best, to have goals, to, you know, to aim high. All this stuff is really good. But there's something that really freaks me out about this, you know, and it's, it's, I, and it's related to my kids too. Like my, my oldest daughter is going to be 16 next month. And when I think about her and I think about my, my kids, like, like I want the best for them. I want them to be the best that they can be. But the thing that freaks me out, my wife and I were talking about it this week, is that we have probably already taught our kids 
everything that we're going to teach them. Like they know about our faith, they know where we stand in our morals, they know where we stand financially, where we stand in our ethics, politically, our principles, our values. Like our kids know what we have taught them. So we're basically, not that we're done with them, like not that we're not going to teach them anything more, but the reality is that from now on, what we do is we watch, we give them feedback, and we set boundaries. Because they already know what we have taught them. And honestly, to this point, with my kids, I like what I'm seeing. All three of my kids seem to have a sense of direction, sense of purpose, and this makes me very happy as a dad. And what I want for them, I want them, honestly, to be so much better than us. I want my kids to have the perfect house. I want them to have the perfect spouse. I want them to have the perfect kids, the perfect Like, I want their lives to be so good. That's what I want for my kids. But here's the reality of everything. They could have it all. Everything. They could have everything. They could achieve all their dreams. You could achieve all your dreams. Everything that you have set up for yourself, you could hit every single one of those goals. But I guarantee you, if that's your focus, if that's your sole focus, there will always be something missing. Tom Brady um, is the greatest football quarterback in the NFL history. That's what some people say. I don't know if there's an argument here. I'm not really a football guy, but, you know, he won seven Super Bowls, right? Is that true? Yes. So I think I have a picture of him. There he is. And so he, he said this. I saw this in an interview. Somebody shared this with me. This is when he had his third Super Bowl ring. It's crazy what he said. Listen, he says, this is, and I quote, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still feel like there's something else out there for me? We're talking about a guy who achieved everything life has to offer, but is still missing something. So what does it say about him? What does it say about you and me? What are you going after in your life? What am I going after in my life? What are your goals? What are your aspirations? What is your vision? What is your direction? Like, what, what, what is it that you think in your mind, once you achieve this thing, you are finally going to feel like, man, I got there. I, now, now I don't need to do anything else. I am good to go. You see, some of you here, you feel like you're not yet there. You're like, I just got to do these things, and I'm going to achieve this, this goal. And you still believe that it is a matter of Achieving that goal that is the only thing that is holding you back from being where you can be finally complete and like, man, I finally made it. This is probably most people. Others, you already achieved what you thought would make you happy. You already achieved that goal. You're there. Like the thing that you thought was going to make you happy, you already achieved that thing and you realize that it doesn't feel like you thought it would. And so either you're setting yourself another goal and you're lying to yourself again saying once I hit this one, then it's going to deliver. And once I hit this one, then it's going to deliver. And then once you hit that one, you set yourself another, 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 another goal. And so you are here either setting new goals for yourself, expecting that those goals are going to make you happy, or perhaps you're, you're medicating it with drugs, with distraction, with social media, with hobbies, with religion, with just busyness, just trying to shut down the fact that you don't feel satisfied, so you're trying to, to numb it with something. Or maybe you're here today and you are completely depressed and you're completely lost. 
Like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I've set goals for myself, and I, I just, I don't, I feel lost. Something is missing. So what do you do? In this crazy pursuit, have you ever just wanted God to show up in your life and just tell you what to do? Just like show up in a cloud, just come down and just tell me do this, and then you just go and you do it. Wouldn't that be easy? That would be so simple, arguably, right? We see that in Scripture and it doesn't always work out that way. But, but the reality is that it sometimes it seems like it would be so simple. What if Jesus just came along and told you exactly what would give you purpose, what would give you meaning, what would give you direction, what would give you joy, what would give you fulfillment? What would you do? Like, just do that thing. It would be very, very simple. Now, the good news is he already did. Like, we just read it at the beginning of, the, of, of this message. In fact, of all the things that he taught us, this is likely the most important thing, what we read at the beginning. These were Jesus' last words before he left. So he comes back, right? He rises from the dead, and then before he ascends, he gives us this calling. Um, it's like when somebody's leaving on a long trip or they're, they're about to die, their last words. They, these last words, they have, they have more weight to them. This is what Jesus tells his disciples right before he leaves the earth. This is the Great Commission. If you want to hear from God what he expects of you, if I want to hear like what God expects of me, there's the Great Commission. It says this. It says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That's why this is called the Great Commission. This is not, I've heard a passage, it's not the great suggestion. Like, hey, if you think that you may want to do this, then you can decide. No, 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 this is a mandate. It's a great commission. You are, you and I, all of us, no exceptions, are called to do this. This is why you and I are here. This is why we are here on the earth is to obey the great commission, which will bring glory to God at, at the end of the day. So today I want to propose something to you that will rev revolutionize your entire life. You guys ready for this? Obeying the Great Commission, it will change your life. It's not about coming to church. It's not about doing all, like, if you begin to obey the Great Commission, it will change your life. And it will give you everything that you're looking for. It will give you purpose. It will give you meaning. It will give you direction. It will give you joy. It will give you fulfillment. But you see, but pastor, I don't know. This is hard. It's so hard to follow the Great Commission. Like, I don't, I'm not an expert in the Bible, I don't want to go into full-time ministry. I don't want to have to preach from a stage. Okay, where does it say that in the text? It doesn't say that here. You know, Jesus is not expecting for you necessarily to go door-to-door -door and evangelize or to, to quit your job and do something completely different or, or to become a missionary, you know, and leave the United States. That's not what he's saying here necessarily. But he does expect you to obey the Great Commission. And so the question is, how or, or where? And most likely what he's asking you and I to do is to obey the Great Commission right where you are. Right where you work. 
right where you study, right where you, you have your, your hobby, with the guys that you play pickleball with, right? Um, yes, in the neighborhood, right? Where you work out, your friend, like where it is that you interact normally, that is where God is calling you to obey the Great Commission. And now how, you may say, well, how, how do I do it? Like what are the tools exactly that I need to, that I need to do? So I want to give you one thing. It's going to help you, and it is this. It is to start by changing the way that you see people. How do you see people? How do I see people? When you see people, what are you seeing? You see, I think that we overemphasize sometimes all the different changes that we need to have as Christians, which is great. We have to change, you know, from the inside, allow God to transform us. That's great. But I think one of the things that sometimes we underemphasize is changing the way that we see people. How do you see them? You know? Let me say, what do, what do you mean? 2 Corinthians 5 16 says this. It says, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. So what Paul is doing here is he, he's discussing the transformative nature of faith in Christ, and he encourages believers to no uh, longer view others or Christ himself from a worldly point of view. And so this is the calling today, that we will change the way we see people. So how do you see people? How do you see the bank clerk, the gym staff, the coworker, the restaurant waiter? Like, how do you see them? Well, most of us see the bank clerk as the bank clerk, the gym staff as the gym staff, the coworker as a coworker. Like, we just see them for who they obviously are. But as Christians, we have to change that. We have to change the way we see people. We can no longer see them for what they for what they are as a bank clerk or gym staff, like we, we have to change how we see them. So the question becomes now, how are we supposed to see them? Well, we're supposed to see people as Christ sees people. And how does Christ see people? Matthew 9, 36 says this. It says, when he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion on them and because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So when Jesus sees a crowd, he sees them in a certain way. How do you react when you see a crowd? I get annoyed when I see a crowd. Like Friday, my wife and I, we went to Cheesecake Factory, and there was a, there was a crowd there. I felt no compassion. I was just thinking, man, are we ever going to get a table, you know? When Jesus sees a crowd, he feels compassion. When he sees every single person, he sees, he sees compassion. He's moved by compassion. We are called to do the same. When we see people, how are we supposed to see them? The people that we interact with every single day, we are to see them as people who are lost and hopeless without Jesus and need a Savior. We can't just be annoyed by people. We have to see them the way Jesus sees them with compassion, and realizing that they are helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Begin to see them as Jesus does, and something, something begins to shift in our mind. When we, begin, we begin to see people like, like this person is hopeless without Jesus. Something happens in our mind. Now, I have to give you a big warning with this. As we, just as you leave today, just start seeing people differently. Like this person needs hope doesn't have hope, doesn't have Jesus, you know, all is lost. But I'll have to give you a big warning that no longer seeing people from a worldly point of view does not mean, it does not mean 
seeing people as projects. You no longer see people from a worldly point of view, but when you see someone, you're like, oh, that's a project. I gotta, I gotta make that person become a Christian. That's my job. It's not your job. That is not your job. It is Christ's job to change. See, this is how I grew up. I grew up in, a, in, a, in, the, in South America as a missionary in Chile, and we would go out and we would evangelize people on the streets. And this was something that I had a hard time with. We had this uh, little booklet called the Four Spiritual Laws, and I had to memorize it, and I had to talk to people. I had to, I had to sell them on the gospel. I had to explain to them what the gospel was, and they had to respond, either with a prayer, or they had to write something on a thing, or you would invite them to church. This was a big burden on my life, and I think I might have shared this with you before, because when the person would not accept Christ, I felt guilty. This is my fault that that person is going to burn in hell because I messed up my lines. I said the thing wrong. And on the other hand, if another person would share the gospel, they were great at it, you know, because they had memorized the whole thing, that person responded to the gospel and now was in heaven as a result of that person doing a good job. That was a lot of pressure. But the problem is that I saw people, not as Christ sees them, I had no compassion for people, I just saw them as projects. Like this person needs to do the thing. And when the person does the thing, then I'm going to have another, you know, approval by God. But the reality is that we have to understand when we're invited to see people from, from Christ's point of view, we have to understand that he still does all the work. Jesus saves, Matthew 1, 20, 21. Jesus calls, Matthew 4, 19, and Jesus gives growth. He does all the work, 1 Corinthians 3, 6 to 7. So we're not called to get people to do anything, but simply to begin no longer seeing people from a human point of view, but begin to open yourself up and open yourself up to when, when the Holy Spirit prompts you to say something. But don't hold back either. So we have to find that balance. And the invitation is to become open in sharing your faith and doing it naturally and doing it organically. And don't, you don't have to be weird either. Like, does that, does that make sense? Like, don't be weird about it. I was at the gym. This was a long time ago. I said, I'll never forget it. So I was, there's this lady next to me. She was working out right next to me. And she's making like these noises. It's like, oh, you know. And then she goes like, oh, man, that was, that was so heavy. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I'm like, oh. I mean, if that's your style, okay. But like, I don't know. I'm just saying, not, not that that's wrong. I don't want to like, maybe you've done that before. I don't know. But trying to open the door. What I'm trying to say is, is just, just don't. Feel like you have to make people change or make people receive Jesus. That's not your job. Christ does it. You are called to be open and to see people from, from a, not from a human perspective. And so once you start doing this, you begin, it begins to be effortless. You just share your life openly with people. So I'm going I'm to start closing here uh, with this. And this is... Um, this is kind of a shift that I want to hopefully help all of us have in our minds as we interact with people, as we, as we talk to people. Uh, my wife and I, we used to, this is a while back, it's like 20 years ago, maybe like 18 years ago, we used to sell uh, nutrition products. And we would sell these products. Was, we were part of this herbal, we, we sell Herbalife products, you know. And once I got into ministry, we had to quit because then I would start seeing every single person as a possible client. And that would not be good. I can imagine right here just kind of looking around, oh, I'm going to talk to that person after church, right? You can't be that. 
But anyway, I, we would sell these products. And one of the things that was so important as we were selling these products is that, is that you're not just selling a product. Like, that's not the goal. You have to, like, understand the product. And when you understand the product and you can feel the difference that the product is making in your life, then it no longer becomes an issue of trying to convince anybody. You're just sharing something that is really true for you, so you have to believe in it, right? And then you begin to sell a lot more because the result of your actual experience just kind of overflows into being able to recommend this product uh, without, without the sense of, like, pressure, like, oh, I got to do, you got to, you know, you got to consume this product because I need to, you know, pay my bills, right? You don't want to ever be that guy. But the point is that once you started consuming these products, you understood the product, then it became much more different and became more organic. And so this is true also when we, when we share our faith. Like, is the transformative power of Jesus really alive inside of you? That's question number one. Because you don't want to have to preach the gospel about something that you're not that excited about. Because then it becomes weird. And I don't know why you would do that. Is the reality of Jesus, the transformative power of his Holy Spirit actually alive in you? And if he's not, first of all, be honest with that and go into the secret place and pray to Jesus and allow for him to reveal himself to you in a real way. Once that's true for you, then just open yourself up and talk about Jesus in the same way that you would, I don't know, recommend a movie that you love. It just happens. It's so, you love it, so, you love Jesus so much that you can't help but talking about him. And so that's the invitation that, that the Holy Spirit, that God will begin to allow this church to, to start shifting in, in, in the way that we approach one another. You see, our vision as a church is to reach the city of Downey with the hope of Jesus. And this is a big vision. But it's, it's only going to happen, reaching our city, is if we do it individually. And so one of the things that you can do, probably one of the easiest things that you can do, not that this is the most important thing, but one of the things that you can do is just bring them to church. I mean, that's one of the easiest things. In fact, I want to close just by letting you know that Easter is in six weeks. I know, it's crazy. It's in six weeks. And we're going to do something very special this Easter. I'm so excited about this. So on Good Friday, we're going to do a thing called the Seven Stations of the Cross. And the Seven Stations of the Cross is going to be sort of like a sensory experience, for lack of a better term. So you're going to be able to come into the cafe and it's gonna, I don't want to spoil it, but it's just going to be a great experience where you're going to be able to take communion um, at the Last Supper. You're going to be able to um, experience the cross in a special way. You're going to be able to feel the darkness of the tomb. That's going to be on Good Friday. So that's going to be something that you can participate in and you can invite anyone to this. It's going to be on Good Friday at 630 also, we're going to have a special event on Resurrection Sunday. It's going to be sort of like a, a concert type thing. We're going to have people, uh, uh, guests that are going to be singing some songs. We're going to have a narration. We're going to have just something very special to invite people to. I'm going to give a message that Sunday that's going to be a message that hopefully is going to open up people's hearts who have never met Jesus. And so they'll be able to experience that. And so I want, to, I want you to start thinking about that. And so... Um, that's what I wanted, I wanted to share with you guys. And 
Um, if we could close our eyes for a minute and we can just pray to God here so that he can continue to speak into us and that his Holy Spirit can just seal this message in our hearts. So with your eyes closed, and I'm going to say a few things and then we're going to pray. I want to remind you of something that I said earlier with your, with your eyes closed and your heads bowed. I want to remind you this morning that it is Jesus that does all the work. Jesus is the one that calls. He's the one that saves. He's the one that gives growth. And I want, to, I want you to think about your mission. Your mission, where you're at, the people that you interact with. And that you will begin to open your heart, not to try to get them to do something or try to get them to come to church or try to get them to do that. That's not the win. That's not the win but to realize that it is God who chooses us to be used by him so that through us, people can receive him. And maybe your job is just to have them take one step closer to Jesus. And I don't know what that is. Maybe you have someone in your heart, maybe you have someone in your mind right now that you're thinking about. Maybe it's time to invite them to church. Maybe it's time to have a conversation with them. Maybe it's time to offer them to pray. Maybe you, have, maybe you have people in your lives who don't even know that you're a follower of Jesus, and you just need to find a moment to let them know that. It's not about pressure. It's not about making them do something. It's not about closing a sale. It's about seeing people from now on, no longer from a human perspective, but as Jesus does, with compassion knowing that they need a Savior. So let's open our eyes today to the harvest that is ready and that we can together reach the city with the hope of Jesus. So Lord God, we pray this morning and we thank you for this message. We thank you, God, because as a result of what you've done for us, your sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins, we have a, we have a message that compels us I pray, God, that we will find opportunities to be able to just be open and talk to people and share with them and offer them the hope and the love that you give. I pray, God, that there'll be a transformation, first of all, in the, in the hearts of every person here, and that that will overflow in an external transformation as well of this church and of the city. So, God, I know that's a big vision but we serve a big God. So I, I pray, God, that you'll continue speaking to us throughout this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.